Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Hey, welcome to, uh, I was going to say church, but I don't like saying welcome to church because then people think that church is what happens on a Sunday morning in a particular building. And the truth is that church is people and churches in the supermarket and churches in town and churches, wherever you go anywhere and you have Jesus inside of you, that's church. So welcome to this particular service in this particular building as part of a wider church that is meeting all around uh, the world. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh, uh, and I'm the senior leader here at Activate uh, Christchurch. Liz, my wife, uh, was the one service leading uh, this morning. It was her first time doing it, and she was really nervous, so make sure that you grab her afterwards and say, you are great, way better than Josh. I wish you did it all the time, and he never did it. Um, Because, I mean, she even came down here during the week, she stood up on the stage, and she practiced and practiced and practiced. Like, she really wanted to you know, to do well, because it's important to us that you guys come into this place and you feel at home and, you know, we don't do things that annoy you and tick you off. And Well, I do all the time, but she didn't want to do that. She's like, I need to provide some balance for all your annoyingness. So, uh, so we are continuing a series this morning that we kicked off a couple of weeks ago called At The Movies. Uh, if you weren't here a couple of Sundays ago, let me just recap for you very quickly. Uh, I started it off in week one with Kung Fu Panda 3. And I used a quote from Shifu, who's the little wee red panda, uh, who's kind of the master of the Furious Five and of Poe, the Kung Fu Panda. And he makes this comment in Kung Fu Panda 3. He says, if you only do what you can do, and you'll never be more than you are now, which is an incredibly insightful thing for an animated character to say in a kid's movie. But he said it. And so we talked about growth. And we talked about how all of us want to grow, that as human beings, it's kind of hardwired in us to grow. Uh, And that's why we do things like make New Year's resolutions. And that's why if I sat you down and said, hey, choice A, you're the same person in a year's time that you are now, same level of emotional intelligence, same abilities, same experience, or in a year's time, you've grown, you've matured, you're better at some things, you handle situations better, what would you pick? Every one of us would go, well, obviously I'd pick option B, because we love to grow. It's hardwired into us. And we talked about the fact that growth is a choice, that we are presented often with opportunities in life to grow, and we have the choice to either accept those opportunities or to say, no, thank you. And we talked about, well, why would anyone say no to growing if it's what we all want to do? And so there were three things that we looked at uh, in the first week about why we would say no to growing. So just to catch you up, the first one was that growth is challenging. It's it's always harder to choose the growth option than to choose the stay the same option. And so if you're ever confused, you've got two choices to make, and you're going, well, which one is the growth one, which one's the stay the same, I can almost guarantee if you just say, which one do I not want to do most? Which one's the hardest? That's probably the growth option. You know, do I go and talk to this person about my frustrations or do I just stew with them here and tell somebody else? Well, what's the harder option? That's probably the growth option. You know, do I get up and go to the gym or do I stay here watching Netflix? Well, which is the harder option? That's probably, you know, the growth option. Do I set my alarm for an hour early and get up and read my Bible and spend some time with God or do I sleep in? Which is the harder option? It's probably the growth option because growth by its very nature is challenging and that's why we very often say, I don't want to do that. It's just hard. Another reason we choose not to grow is because growth means change. And we talked about this. Uh, I'll make an insightful statement. 
We don't like change we don't like. That about. We don't like change we don't like. Now, I understand that we've got different personalities and there's something called like the change bell curve and you can have uh, innovators and early adopters and then at the other end you've got late adopters and what we call laggards and essentially we're all wired differently and some of us love change and some of us really don't love change. So my personality is I love change. I love things changing all the time. Uh, the flip side of that is I really struggle with discipline. I really struggle with um, doing the same thing over and over and over again. And so I struggle to build habits because I don't like doing the same thing every day. So that's the flip side of being you know, good with change. On the other end of the spectrum, you might have someone who is not great at change, but is awesome at building habits, getting into routine, getting their life sorted out. So there's pluses and minuses of both. There's no good or bad. But what I've noticed in my life is even though I would say I'm pretty pro-change, I still don't like change I don't like. What I've noticed is that life does not very often give me the opportunity to choose whether or not it changes things in my world. Have you noticed that about life? Life doesn't come along and say, hey, thinking of changing your pastor, what do you reckon? Hey, I'm thinking of introducing this new relationship into your life. Or hey, I'm thinking of bringing in this you know, unsettling component. Or hey, there's going to be some health issue coming. Life doesn't do that. It doesn't come along and say, let me know what you think. If you're on board with it, then we'll change. If you're not, then we won't. Life just goes, suck it. Deal with it. You know, Grow through it or go somewhere else. Do something else. So often we'll choose not to change, not to grow, because change is hard. And then the last reason that we came up with a couple of Sundays ago is that growth costs. And that's the truth. Before you can take a hold of the new thing, you have to let go of the old thing. And very often there's a lag between when we let something go and when we get a hold of the new. And you saw this when the Israelites came out of Egypt and then they're in the desert and they're like, we've got this amazing promise that God has got in store for us, but we can't see that yet. All we can focus on is what we don't have. They let go of Egypt. They let go of slavery. They let go of all of this horrible stuff. But from their perspective, they're like, that was still better than nothing. And we do that. You know, we let go of the old and the new is coming. But we're like, well, I can't see that. And so we get sidetracked by what we let go of. And we go, well, that was at least better than what I got now. And so we choose not to grow because growth means that it costs us something. So that was week one. Last week, Mike talked about um, The Money Pit, which was a very funny movie from 1986 about a young couple that buy a house that's their dream home, turns out to be an absolute nightmare, fixer-upper, staircases are falling down, walls are collapsing, plumbing doesn't work. And Mike essentially said, hey, that house is kind of like our life. We are, all of us, a mess. Let's just own that right now. We try and keep it together on the outside, especially on Sunday mornings. How are you going? Oh, it's great, Pastor. Everything's great. Don't call me Pastor. It's weird. So, you know, it, we, we try and hold it together on the outside. But honestly, when we're, honest, it's, we're, all, we're all a mess. We're all just trying to figure this thing out as we go. We all make mistakes. We all do things wrong. Beautiful things that God doesn't care about that stuff. He just loves us because he created us and he loves us for who we are. And so what we very often do is we will disqualify ourselves from what God is calling us to do because we think we're not good enough. And so Mike's big point last Sunday, he pointed out a bunch of different people in the Bible that we would have called heroes like David and uh, you know, Moses and uh, Lazarus and all these kind of guys. And he just said, look, David was a murderer and an adulterer. That's, those are 
are both really bad things to do. And he did them both. And yet God continually called David a man after my own heart. In fact, throughout the Bible, Jesus is referred to as a son of David. Can you imagine God having such a high opinion of you that he would be happy for his son to be called your son? And this is a guy that killed people, had adultery, committed adultery. One of the most beautiful things about David, though, is if you read through David's life, David never did what we all do. He never went, I'm a horrible person, I've done a horrible thing, God can't use me. God, David never disqualified himself from being used by God and said, God, just keep using him. And we don't do that. We often will be like, I've done a horrible thing, or I haven't done this, or I haven't done that, God can't use me, and we count ourselves out. And so Mike just said, look, do you honestly think that God can't use you the same way that he used uh, our biblical heroes? So that was last week. So now we get to this week, which I'm very excited about, because like Liz said, uh, it took all of my willpower to not start with this movie, because it's only the best movie ever made. I want to talk to you this morning about The Lion King. The original Lion King, not the travesty that came out last year. Okay, I'm talking 1994, Jeremy Irons, Rowan Atkinson, uh, James L. Jones... Matthew Broderick, Whoopi Goldberg, not 2019 rubbish. <laughs> Seth Rogen, blah, right? This movie was freaking amazing. It was the highest grossing animated film of all time, and it held that record for 16 years until it was dethroned in 2010 by what movie? Guesses? What movie tipped you can whisper it to yourself, it doesn't help me, Amanda. What? Pick a Toy, Story. Toy Story, you are close. It was Toy Story 3. Toy Story 3 topped this one off the list in 2010, and then Toy Story 3 was itself dethroned in 2013 by Frozen. But both of those are like computer animated movies. This is legit hand-drawn. There you go. This, was, this movie was made by Disney's B team, because they were making another movie at the same time which they thought was way better. And so all of their best drawers, their best storytellers, their best animators were on that movie. And that movie was called Pocahontas. And then Lion King came out and killed it. It's an awesome movie. Now before I tell you what it's about, I want to introduce you to a very awesome young man in our church called Rufus. Rufus, jump up here, buddy. Who knows Rufus? Give me a wave if you know Rufus. Beautiful. All right, so take that. You can hear that. You can hear yourself. Now, Rufus, where are you from? Singapore. Talk Singapore. Yeah, Singapore. I'm from Singapore. I'm from Singapore. And how long have you been a part of Activate? Uh, three months. Three months. Now, can you hear in Rufus's voice, he just sounds cool. Right? He sounds cool. An unknown talent which we stumbled across at a young adult's night a few months ago is that Rufus used to do the voice for movie trailers. So, I have written a movie trailer intro for The Lion King. Are you ready for it? Okay, hold on a second, because here we go. In a world without men, the king of beasts rules the savannah. The circle of life is strong, the harmony of nature even stronger, until everything changes in an instant. Murder, greed, ambition, a real weird love song between two lions that's frankly awkward to watch. I mean, she licks his face. That's a lion kiss right there, right? Did I just see two lions kiss? That's not right. Anyway, one cub must face his fears, return to the 
challenge his father's murderer for the throne. The Lion King, rated G. Wow, good. That's that good. Awesome, bro. Give me a high five. Well done. Grab a seat. So, anyway, as I was saying, I feel very emasculated right now. Let me show you a clip from The Lion King. All right? That's not the actual clip. That's not the actual clip. You're all, look at you all laughing. You're all horrible people. Right. No, this is the actual scene that I wanted to show you. But just, is there anyone here that hasn't seen The Lion King? Wow. Get out. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. But your homework, I'm serious. Don't even worry about what I say from now on. Just go home, watch The Lion King. Disney Plus, it's only $9.99 a month. And you get a week for free. So just go home, sign up, and watch it for free. Because, oh my gosh. Okay, well then for, for you people, let me tell you what's going on here. So basically you've got Simba, who's a little wee lion cub, doesn't actually get thrown off at the very start of the movie. And his dad is called Mufasa. He rules the Pride Lands. He's the king of the savannah. And he's got a brother who is a piece of work called Scar. And Scar desires the throne. So Scar comes up with this broadly elaborate plan to assassinate Mufasa, which, okay, if you want to watch it, then put your fingers in your ears, but you need to know this for this next part. He succeeds in killing Mufasa, and somehow Simba ends up with this idea that it's all his fault. And so Simba ends up running away and growing up away from his family, away from his friends, uh, with a couple of random people like a warthog and a, a meerkat. Uh, but and I, when that happened, I was devastated. Does anyone else remember me faster dying in the line? Like, I was like, what have you just done to my childhood, Disney? Uh, it was more, I was devastated. But then, at some point during the film, like two-thirds of the way through, this crazy baboon shows up who's a friend of Simba's dad, and he says to him, hey, your dad is still alive. And when he said that, I was like, I knew it. I knew Disney couldn't kill one of the main characters off, and I was so happy. So I was like, he's just been wounded for like 15 years. That's all right. I can suspend my belief. It's a kid's movie. And then the monkey takes Simba on a bit of a journey through all this, you know, wilderness and twigs and trees and stuff, and leads him to a pool of water, and he says, there's your dad. And Simba looks in the pool of water, and Simba's all grown up now. He sees his reflection, and he goes, that's not my dad, that's just my reflection. And I saw that, and I wanted to kill that monkey. I was so gutted. Rafiki is the reason I have trust issues. I'm not even joking. Because I was so happy that he was alive. And then I'm like, that's just, uh, just Simba, just bite his head off right now. I'd be okay with it. But let's see what happens next.
That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. You see, he lives in you. this morning obviously I mean as soon as I put up the Lion King if anyone knows the Lion King you're probably thinking I reckon he's going to talk about that remember part it's so important but I wanted to talk to you this morning about the statement that Mufasa makes and let's just ignore the fact that it's Darth Vader's voice talking about being Simba's dad that's okay he says this he says remember who you are you know our Awareness of who we are is absolutely foundational to anything and everything that we do in our life. Um, let me tell you a story about something that happened to me. And I'm just going to make one point, and, and that's it. It's not a very complicated message this morning. But a couple of years ago, uh, I had a really horrible experience, really uncomfortable period in my life where, uh, for a variety of reasons, a lot of my confidence in myself was stripped away. Uh, and I went from being very confident in my own abilities and very confident in my skills and in what I could do to, to just second-guessing every thought that came into my head, second-guessing everything that I was doing. Uh, and that was, there was a variety of reasons for it. A lot of it was you know, God-orchestrated, uh, and a lot of it came from the other guy, but God was able to use that to still work for good. But a couple of years ago, uh, I had a friend in the church that I belonged to and let me just preface this by saying that the end of it all works out. Uh, we had a misunderstanding, and it was a misunderstanding. Uh, essentially what had happened was that I'd had some conversations with some people, and my words had been twisted, and some filters had been put in place, and somebody heard that I'd said some things that I hadn't said, or they didn't understand why I'd said what I said. And so this friend of mine, uh, who went to my church, you know, he played in my football team, uh, we were the same age, we hung out, we did lunch during the week, our kids played together, a good friend, he, he took me out for a coffee, and halfway through the coffee, he just started just laying into me for what he had heard had been going on. And again, the end of it was, at the end of it, he came back to me and apologised and said I was wrong and I shouldn't have handled it the way that I handled it and I regret that I did what I did. So the end result was, you know, I was able to accept this apology and we moved forward. But in the middle of it, it was awful. And I don't know if you've ever had the situation where someone's just laying into you and there was just, just enough 
overlap of truth in what he was saying, that it wasn't a simple case of just saying, you know, I didn't talk to that person. I was, you know, here's my alibi. I was in Fiji when that happened. And so it was just like a cut and dried case. There was just enough overlap that I was like, okay, I did talk to that person, but I didn't say that. Or it was, well, I did say that, but the context of what I said was actually, you know, this. Have you ever had that situation where someone's just misunderstood what was going on? And for whatever reason, he was wild about it. And so over this sort of 45 minute, you know, what I thought was a nice coffee catch-up became just this horrible thing where just accusation after accusation after accusation was thrown at me, and I didn't know what was going on, and I'm trying to put out fires all over the place. What I should have done is just said, hey, look, I'm not having this conversation, you know, I need to go away and process through the fact that you've totally misunderstood what's going on here. But at the end of the conversation, he said this to me, he said, you are not an honourable person. You have dishonor all over your life, and I can't be friends with someone like you because I won't be friends with someone as dishonorable as you are. And I need to tell you, that hurt a lot. I would never say something like that to someone, ever. I don't have a problem saying, hey, what you did hurt. Hey, what you did was, I think, needs some explaining. But to say to someone, you are a dishonorable person, is like that cut deep. You understand? And I was already feeling like a little bit unsettled in just who I was. And I went home and I gave him a call the next day because I was like, we need to sort this out. And even on the phone call, he was like, no, we're not friends, can't be friends with you, hung up on me on the phone. So I was like, I can't even move forward. I can't even resolve this. Uh, And I was really, really hurt. And I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but all of a sudden it's like you can't think about anything else. You wake up in the morning, and as soon as you wake up, that's what you're thinking about. You're trying to go to sleep at night, and you can't sleep because that's all you're thinking about. It just got inside of me, and it started to affect uh, who I was. And I started to think, is he he right? Like, Do I have a problem here? What's going on? And it was just really, really horrible. And so one night I woke up, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning, and as soon as I wake up, that's what I'm thinking about. And I lay in bed for an hour, two hours, and I end up getting up at like three o'clock in the morning. And I go into my lounge and I lay down on my couch. Obviously, everyone's asleep. Liz and the kids are sleeping. All the lights are off. And I lay on the couch and I'm just like, God, I don't, I don't understand where this guy is coming from or why he's saying these things. Or, you know, what is happening? And, and I felt like God said in that moment, he said, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to dig out all the prophetic words that you've ever been given. So a prophetic word, in case you don't know, you know, often God will talk to someone on your behalf. And so someone will come to you and say, hey, this is just what I feel like God's saying for your life. If if you've ever had it happen, it's amazing when it happens at just the right time. Like you might be trying to make a really important decision. Like do I pick yellow or do I pick green? Someone comes in and just says, hey, this is going to sound really weird, but I feel like God just said, pick green. And you're like, ah, thank you. Like it's awesome when that happens. Uh, and sometimes, you know, someone will give you a word and they'll be like, hey, this is what I think God's saying about your future. Uh, and so I always try and if I can tell that I'm in an environment where that might happen, like maybe a church service or something, I will pull my phone out and I'll hit record on my phone so that I can listen to it later and really hear what God's saying. So on my phone, I had, you know, half a dozen different recordings over the years that people had said to me. And so God said, I want you to, to start listening to it. I said, what, like now? He said, yeah, right now, right now. It's three o'clock in the morning. And so I, I open up my phone, and there's a bunch of ones in there. I can't remember any of them. They were years ago. But there was one that popped up, and it just stuck out to me. And it was from a girl 
that uh, gave me a word from God at the airport in Redding, California. Three or four years ago, I flew to the States to go to a conference at Bethel Church, and we landed in Reading. I was with some friends. Reading is a tiny airport. It's like Palmerston North or Invercargill. Like, we were the only plane that landed. There's 20 of us on the plane. We walk into the airport. It's like this big. There's one conveyor belt with like four suitcases on it. And like, this is not what I expected. And, and a girl comes up. And she's wearing a high-vis vest. And she's just, you know, mid-20s. Beautiful girl. Beautiful personality. She says, hi, welcome to Reading. And um, that was not how she sounded at all. It was more like, you know, southern Alabama. But she said, welcome to Reading. And she said, what are you doing here? And we said, oh, we're here for for Bethel. And she goes, oh, it's great. She said, would you like a word from God? I'm like, seriously? You're the beggar chandler. I said, yeah. She goes, great, grab your phones out. So we get our phones out. And she just has a conversation, like, as clearly as I'm talking, like, not eyes closed, not weird. She's just talking like this, like we're having a conversation. And so she rattled off a word for my friends and rattled off a word for me. Her name was Honey. She might have been an angel, now that I think about it. Just, 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 I honestly, we hopped in the car to leave the airport, and I was like, I could fly back home to New Zealand right now. Like, I'm happy. Um, but that was years ago, and I'd forgotten what she'd said. And so here I am, you know, a couple of years ago, lying on the couch, three o'clock in the morning. I have these accusations flying around my head. You're a dishonorable person. You're a dishonorable person. You're a dishonorable person. And I pick this recording, and I hit play, and I just hear this voice of honey, literally, voice of honey come out of my phone, and she just says, look, before I start, I just need to tell you that God says you are an honorable man. You are an honorable man, and God trusts you. And as soon as I heard it, it was like something shifted inside of me. I was like, you know what? That's the truth. That's the anchor point, for I had forgotten what God had said, but that reminded me. And then, so I hit stop, I hit play, I bawled my eyes out, I hit play, I hit play. I must have played it like 20 times, just you're an audible man, and I just let it sink into me. And then God said, okay, here's what I want you to do next. He said, I want you to get every prophecy you've ever got. He said, I want you to type them all out, if you haven't typed them out already. I want you to go through every single prophecy and find any statement that you can slightly rewrite to be an identity statement. So, for example, she said, you're an honorable man. I wrote out, I am an honorable man. Someone said, um, you know, there's a lot of activity in the spirit around you. I wrote down, there's a lot of activity in the spirit around me. These, these I am statements. And I wrote down 49 of them. And I printed them out and I put them on the wall in my office. And then I took a photo of them. So they're on my phone. They're still on my phone. I can show you. And then what I did is uh, I would walk down the road outside my house and I would pull my phone out and I would read them out loud over my life. I am an honorable man. God trusts me. You know, I am a good leader, whatever it might be. And over the course of three or four weeks, everything shifted for me in my life. And then God said one more thing. He said, I'm going to show you, because I said to him, why is this working? Like, why, why would me just saying stuff to myself about what you think of me, why would this be changing everything in my life? He said, I'll show you why. And so he took me to a passage in the Bible, and I'll, I'll finish with this. Genesis chapter 15 tells a story about God coming to Abraham. He was called Abraham at the time. He hadn't had his name changed yet. And so God comes to Abraham, and he says, bro, Josh Virgin. He says in a vision, don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. I'm your very great reward. And I love Abraham's response because Abraham doesn't say, that's awesome. I'm so thankful, God. I'm so thankful you're my shield and my reward. Abraham goes, great. I want to talk about that. I'm not interested in that. Abraham just goes straight to the point and says, hey, what can you give me? 
because I've got no kids. And under the Jewish tradition, if I die with no kids, he says, then my servant, Elisa, is going to get all of my stuff. And it'll be like I never existed. I'll have no ears. I'll have no, uh, you know, uh, legacy. No one will be talking about me in 50 years' time. I would have been here. I would have been gone. And it's like, what's the point in my life? And God says to him, no, that's not right. He says, this guy's not going to be your ear. Don't you worry about that. He says, go outside and look at the stars and try and count them, if you can, which, of course, you can't. If you've ever tried to count the stars, that is a frustrating experience, right? Even I got bored the other day. I was in the office. I started trying to count the dots on the roof tiles in the ceiling. Equally frustrating. I thought I could count one tile, and then I can just count the tiles and multiply the two numbers, and then I thought I should be working. So I did that instead. But trying to count the stars is a frustrating experience. And so God says to Abraham, you're going to have so many descendants, so many people are going to come as a result of your family, it'll be like trying to count the stars when you try and count them. That's a lot of people. And here's the magic verse. It says this in verse 6. It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's a really weird thing to say. What on earth does that mean? Paul highlights the same verse in Romans chapter 4. In verse 3, he says this, what does scripture say? And then he quotes it. He says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So what's the Bible saying here? The Bible is saying, hey, God gave Abraham a promise. God said to Abraham, this is who you are. You are a father of many nations. You are a man who is going to have so many descendants, you can't even count them all. Now, at this stage, Abraham didn't even have one kid, let alone enough to have so many descendants that you can't count them. But Abraham believed God when God said it. And so God took Abraham's belief, and the Bible says he credited it to him as righteousness. God took Abraham's faith, his trust, his confidence that God would do what he said he would do, that Abraham was who God said he was. God took that belief and God said, I'm going to give it back to you in the form of righteousness. Here's the interesting thing, and this is what God highlighted to me. The word righteousness in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, is a word called dikaiosune. Dikaiosune means the state of, of him who is as he ought to be. This is what God does. He says, I'm going to take your confidence in my word. I'm going to take your faith that you are who I say you are. And I'm going to use that faith to literally transform you into that person. I will take your belief and I will credit it back to you as Dekaiosune, which is the state of him or her who is as he or she should be. Does that make sense? And then as I was lying on the floor of my office reading this, going, this is crazy, I felt like God dropped this phrase into my head and I started saying this over and over again. He said, I become who I was created to be when I believe what God says about me. That's my one point this morning. That's it. I become who I was created to be when I believe what God says about me. And a lot of us, we go through life 
and we get hit by disappointment and we get hit by pain and we get hit by you know, uncaring and unkind words and we get misunderstood and we believe for things that don't happen the way that we thought they would and we forget who we are. And just like Mufasa had to do for Simba, sometimes God needs to pull us aside and say, hey, remember who you are. You are my son. You are my daughter. And that changes everything. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, gee, that's great. You know, one thing to remember who I am, I don't even know if I've ever known who I was. How can you remember what you haven't even known? Well, the beautiful thing is that the solution to both these issues is the same. Whether you have forgotten who God says you are, or whether you go, I don't know if I've ever heard God say who I am, the solution is the same, because the Bible is filled with, filled with things that tell us who we are, versus scriptures. That's a much better word than things. Scriptures that tell us who we are. So if you need to remember who God says you are, you need to open up your Bible. We need to open up our Bibles. I love Google. I think Google is a fantastic tool. One of the things I did was I just opened up my laptop and I typed into Google scriptures, identity scriptures. And there's bang, dozens and dozens and dozens of them, of God just declaring who we are and who he is to us. Let's stand to our feet this morning. We're going to close, but I think what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to pray for people, anyone that feels like this message has resonated with them. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, I have forgotten who I am. I believe that there is an opportunity this morning and an anointing up the front here for us to pray together. I'll tell you what I know for sure, total 100%, is that God loves you and that God sees you as his son or his daughter, and that God wants to talk to you. And if you just open up your heart and go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna expect that when we pray, it'll either happen right then or it'll happen over the next few days. Like for me, it was a, it was a process that I had to go on to rewire my brain, to undo some of the hurtful things that had been said. And like I say, just so everyone's on the same page, That relationship was restored. There was an apology made. Forgiveness was extended. That's part of life. I would say that after saying those incredibly hurtful things, I thought that this person handled everything from that point onwards extremely maturely. I was very impressed with his humility around apologizing and owning what he'd done wrong. And that's all you can ask because we all make mistakes. Man, you've probably got issues with me. I've said things you've gone, oh, that's that's not right. It's not a big deal. And God used it to reveal something awesome. So we're going to sing this song. And if you're here this morning and you go, I, I need some more confidence in who God says I am. I have forgotten. Or I've never really known. But I'm going to invite you to come to the front and we'll pray together.